I know exactly what you're thinking. Isn't it about time that we bring to the computational biomedicine field a little bit of conversation as a service using the bot framework to really deliver to our clinicians? I could not agree with you more. Not only me, but the people and the guests on our show today, we're going to be talking about it, how easy it is, how difficult it is, but how impactful it can be. That's this episode of Dev Radio. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Microsoft Dev Radio. You don't need your passport for this episode. We're only going to New York, where Heather Shapiro lives, my favorite technical evangelist. Hi, Heather. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. So great. My first time. Just like me, you're an audience evangelist, always talking to developers, trying to inspire them to do something new. What are you inspiring developers to do today? So recently I've been focusing a lot on any of our machine learning, data science uh, APIs that we have, so bot framework, cognitive services where you can do face detection, emotion recognition, going into communities, telling, showing them how they can use these, how they can make it better, and how can they can reach new audiences through their business. Now, for two builds in a row, conversation as a platform has been a major topic and the bot framework is at the heart of it all I think it's possible that not everybody has their head wrapped around it when you try and explain the bot framework to somebody how do you explain it to them from far away so the bot framework allows you to create chatbots that are different than what you would think of when you think of Cortana or Siri or Alexa those are more artificial intelligence that can answer any question or most questions um, when you think of a chat bot, the bot framework allows you to create a bot that will make a very specific, do very specific tasks. So like Azure has a bot that you can say, turn off all of my VMs. And it goes and it turns off all of your VMs and your Gosh, that's terrifying. Yep. So you can <laughs> Shut just, down my company. Hey, it works. <laughs> <laughs> they demoed that at Build, actually. Um, and so then they're the best part about the bot framework is that you can just write one set of code and then deploy it to all different channels. So you can do Facebook, Twilio, Skype, Skype for Business, Teams, Cortana Skills. So you don't have to change any code to actually deploy to these different mediums. And those different channels are a big deal because it allows you to reach into places that you haven't been before. I mean, you could easily build a website, maybe a mobile app, something like that. But then in order to use your functionality, you've got to be in a website or your mobile app. And now you can do it from, man, you can do it from a million places in Slack and, and in Teams. And you can just chat with it. You can put it on a website if you want to. It seems pretty endless as well. And then we introduced this cool new idea of cards that go across every possible platform. Talk to me a little bit about cards. Yeah, so the cards allowed you, um, they're different per channel, so Facebook shows cards differently than Skype will show cards, and you don't have to change code to, to say how a card will show up. So if you think about like a URL, if you put in a URL into uh, Facebook versus Skype, they, they're displayed very differently. They're displayed yeah. by different types of cards, and that's just based on the platform. And you don't actually have to do anything about that with the bot framework. You just have to yeah. say, I want to go to Facebook. I want to go to Skype. And the bot and framework And what an unblocker it is. 
Because development teams are like, hey, should we support that platform? Ah, we don't have time to render it properly for them. And now it's all done with these adaptive cards that come for free. You can influence them, right? If you're like, hey, uh, the card needs to be a little bit different, you can influence it, but you don't have to. You can just say, make it look cool the way you make things look cool. Adaptive cards are definitely the way to say, more channels, the better. Just add another channel, add another platform, add another everything, and it'll look better and better. It's funny. These adaptive cards are kind of seep seeping into a lot of other technologies at Microsoft. Meanwhile, meanwhile, on this call, patiently listening to us talking about adaptive cards <laughs> is Wild Cornell Medicine. Now, tell me how we met Wild Cornell Medicine, Heather. Yep, so my manager, Steve Ramsey, actually met uh, them at a HoloLens meetup in New York City, and he likes to always say that January 11th, we met on January 11th, I think that's the date. Um, one one one. Yeah. is that why he likes that? He just, mainly that in just such a short amount of time, we were able to meet Alex and the Well Corner Medicine team at that meetup. Uh, Steve said, we're going to, we're going to help you out. We're going to do, we're going to work together and figure out what we can do with the HoloLens, bot framework. And in just such a short amount of time, we've been able to do so much together. Nice. Now, Alex, you, a research associate in computational biomedicine there at Weill, have, you've been listening so patiently. Thanks for being on the show today. You're in New York as well. Pleasure. Yes, yes. And it's hot here as well. <laughs> and it's hot there as well. Just right across the street, it's still the same weather. Now, tell me, uh, introduce yourself. Who's Alex? So, um, in the bottom line, I'm a developer, but I also wear many hats. And the idea behind what we do is uh, find solutions that help our, our multidisciplinary team, and more specifically, clinicians, uh, caregivers, pathologists, all that uh, uh, team deliver better care, better research, and impact people's lives. So I'm okay. here the, the the people and the, the behind the, the, the front line helping the people make impact. Uh, and uh, I'm part of a team called the Institute for Precision Medicine. And I don't know okay. if you've ever heard what the precision medicine is. Uh, essentially what it is is to um, deliver the right treatment for the right patient at the right time. And it, it sounds kind of sketchy and over-promising. No, but, no, no. Uh, the right treatment for the right patient at the right time. I guess my assumption is we've always been doing that. So, good. I'm like glad to know we, that's a goal now for medicine is the, the right treatment for the right patient. I guess the right treatment for the wrong patient is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> anything that you change from right to wrong usually has a bad uh, result. <laughs> but um, what I would say is uh, the, the thing that we do differently nowadays than in the past is uh, we're using technology. We're using cutting-edge tools in order to, to break barriers and essentially unblock uh, barriers that used to be in the past. So we'll use big data, we'll use machine learning, AI, we'll use uh, technologies that Microsoft produces. And well, we'll, wait, we'll, let's we'll, talk we'll, a little we'll bit about those barriers. Because technology certainly has unlocked so many things. What were some of the bigger barriers that you see are slowly starting to be worked down? I think one of the biggest revolutions in what we're doing is something uh, that is about genomics and any kind of omics you want. And in the past, the, the cost to sequence your, your DNA uh, was, uh, the, the amount was crazy. And now it's gone to levels that it becomes a commodity, it becomes a task that is accessible to everyone. Everyone can have their 
genes uh, essentially yeah. sequenced, examined, and all this is like tons of information, terabytes of information flowing in. Uh, essentially, our DNA is 3.2 billion letters. It's what makes us. And you essentially need the supercomputers to do the, the work. We have thousands of computers and army of them uh, rallied up, uh, uh, crunching the numbers and, and helping our clinicians uh, decide whether treatment A or B is better for them. So nice. uh, our, our main focus in the institute is, is cancer, and uh, it's a dual both research and care. And uh, one of the examples that I can share of how this makes impact, one of the, at least the examples of what uh, uh, helps us uh, wake in the morning and go to work and be excited and say, here's how I contribute. Uh, we had one patient at 2009, uh, she was uh, diagnosed with bladder cancer. And for the, the next five years, she would go on to standard of care, the therapy, she would relapse, go back and forth, uh, okay. chemotherapy, all the traditional stuff. Sure. Uh, yeah, but in 2014, she reached out a point that she said, enough is enough. Like, I cannot go through that. And it has a, a significant psychological impact to, sure. to any patient and, and family dealing with that. So her uh, clinician, Dr. Nana, suggested trying out precision medicine. So what we did is we took uh, one of her samples, uh, uh, put it down to the, the machines, and the data showed that the bladder cancer uh, that she had, the, that specific, let's say, mutation, that spelling mistake that was wrong in her yeah. DNA, uh, was essentially uh, something that was mostly prevalent in breast cancer, and there was an FDA-approved drug targeting that specific mutation. So it doesn't really matter nowadays whether you have bladder cancer or breast cancer, you're focusing on, on the data itself. And she was treated with that three years for cancer-free, all the CT scans and all of that oh, show she's yes, that's great. good to go. So this, this is one of the, the, the big uh, 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 willpower that, that drives us and say, let's uh, work together with uh, amazing talent. Heather, I had the privilege of working together uh, on a, a week-long hack fest, uh, and, and brainstorm together and, and put the, uh, our minds and say, how do we make this better, faster? Uh, how do we scale from one of the success stories to thousands? How do we make this boring that is available and you keep hearing the same story again and again? Right. And it's, you know, part of, like, you go to the pharmacy and you get whatever, like, uh, uh, if you have a headache, it should be a similar approach, more tailored and more precise. So now, here you are, you realize what's going on, you get the opportunity to go to this hack fest, and suddenly you're like, I gotta, I've gotta, because it, it's always the same, right? You go to this hack fest, or any hack fest is the same, you're like, and then you start daydreaming, you're like, what problem should we solve today? And you pull out of your pocket a mess of problems, and you finally pick one. Talk to us about the, what, what you finally chose to be the, the target for this solution? So the, the beauty or, or challenge in, in medicine is you don't have to invent a problem. There's tons of stuff that you can do to, to help yes. and make an impact. So one of the things that we were focusing on, on how we could leverage technology and how we could unblock, what's the lowest hanging fruit that could make an impact today, was something that we call the precision medicine knowledge base. So think of this as a, a, a data repository that all our, our, our doctors go and, and 
put all that accrued knowledge and making it available for everyone, not just the sure. clinicians, to go back and, and reach them. And one of the, the, the challenges that we had at that time is uh, it, it's not how you can produce more data, but how can you help uh, a person consume that information in, in a faster way. So clinicians are not doing the same way that developers are. We learn different skills and develop. Uh, the, the, I could probably search the internet in a completely different setting than a clinician would. And mm. the idea is not how well a developer can find the answer, but how a developer can empower the person making the impact get to that result faster. So this is where we thought like uh, the bot framework sounds interesting. What if we could extend the current functionality that we have delivering results faster? Essentially what we called it, the code name was shortcut. Uh, essentially getting, slashing the time, allowing clinicians to look at more people or look deeper into the detail and, and focus on that. And sure. uh, uh, what essentially we uh, jumped on with uh, Steve's team and uh, had the think of meeting Heather, Gavin, and Andy, uh, and our team that we, we put together with our developers was uh, we jumped on a week-long hack fest and it started with uh, what Heather called the, the envisioning process or essentially brainstorming how this makes an impact, what technology is there. And before Heather started talking about bot framework, I didn't even know anything about it, other than uh, the work yeah. that she sent on the email. Even so, better. Even so, yeah, better. I, I wanted to go in a clean sheet, unbiased, and, and hear it, you know, from the people that, that make the technology, what it could do. So we, we thought, uh, what if we could have an agent, uh, like a, an assistant, that you could ask it to fetch information from you. Yeah. And instead of having a structured dialogue like the, the, the Skyscanner, uh, only engage it when you need it. That is, tell me more about this mutation or tell me more about this type of cancer. Yeah, and, even and So we, we incorporated something that uh, Heather knows more about it. It's called Luis. Uh, it's Language Understanding Intelligent Services, the acronym, Got right? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm mastering it, right? So uh, what this did is essentially we had a set of possible combinations that uh, we put our clinicians and said, how would you want to search it? Let, let's make a real mm -hmm. case. And the driver behind this was not to create like a demo that would be cool. We, we, we right off the bat said, we're going to build something that we plan on using. And if it's not good, we're not going to use it. And we're just going to dump the project. So yeah. the, the idea here is very pro delivering and making an impact other than, you know, playing with technology and uh, looking cool. Uh, All right. And so, just to put it into so perspective, say. actually, there's act there's 163 genes that PMKB supports, and like 600 it's, variants, over 400 interpretations. So there's all these different combinations of what a clinician can actually look for. Well, Heather, yes. where where do you start? Let's say it's me. I come up to you and I'm like, I've got a gigantic knowledge base. I'd really like this to be easy to engage. Where, where's the starting point? There's a lot of moving pieces to do here. Where do you recommend people when they're, they're like, okay, the, the first thing we need is, and what comes? So a lot of people actually will go towards Lewis first 
and I try to tell people not to actually. So okay. I will, um, that's just the common thing is, is people will put in all of their utterances that they think people will say. So utterances are just different ways that people will say something. So if I say, what is the weather like today? That should give you the same answer as if you say, tell me the weather for today. Yeah, So people sure. can say it in tons of different ways. And a lot of, a lot of times people will go towards natural language processing and our Lewis portal put everything in, say, I think this is what the intents are that I want to look at. But we found that, or I found that from working with tons of different customers, and then what we did with Cornell was that, let's actually build out the dialogue first. Let's figure out exactly what we want the flow to be. Let's put in specific keywords. So instead of a greeting intent from natural language processing, let's just put hello. Let's mm. just say, find EGFR, it, which is a gene variant, um, I've, I remember that one. That's there you one. go. CFR. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, it's only going to respond to those specific terms. So we got the flow working, made sure everything was working, and then we could add the natural language processing in. Now, if, when, I, when I do start thinking about natural language processing and interacting with the Lewis portal like that, especially with a really, really large knowledge base, that could be a slow process. Is there a Lewis API that I can engage with? Yes. So there are programmatic APIs. Um, so Lewis is still in preview, and so the APIs are constantly updating. And so mm. you can uh, – we had some issues while we were working on it, um, but we were able to find a workaround, actually. So they have all this knowledge base already in data database, so we created a script that would – put together all of the different forms of what we wanted, um, forms of utterances. We exported the Lewis, uh, Lewis app template so that we could see like, oh, here's the intense entities and how to format it for the JSON format. And so we just wrote a script that would create that JSON format and imported it back. And ah. so we were able to put, able to train on like over 5,000 utterances wow. really quickly. Wow. So starting small from the, the, the small and uh, quick and dirty dialogue to uh, the 500 utterances to 5,000, then we, we tested 50,000, uh, seeing that it doesn't really make much of a difference. You've already uh, clarified how you would want to, to search. It was good enough to, to come to the level that at least match whatever our clinicians uh, would say. One of the things that I really liked about the framework is it's like a, 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 an active project. So if one of our clinicians tries to find something and uh, for some reason of this 5,000 utterances don't work, and there is one more that you need to add, it, it tells you that I tried to, to use that and that didn't go to a result. So you can keep uh -huh. on burning and going and adding. And I think this is something critical for us as we continue to enhance the knowledge base to continue to learn. It's not like a static project that how you consume information. You go there every day and there is new stuff to learn. There are new ways that you can ask it and it all does it and you don't have to worry about it. Very nice. Now, uh, Heather, this was a pretty short hack fest. You had a practical demo at the end that seemed to be working. Obviously, Alex didn't throw it away the project like he said he was going to if it didn't work. Everything's kind of flow. Why is it so fast? Why is development on this sort of a framework such a quick experience? Yep, so we worked together for five days. We went to um, the Cornell campus, and 
I think one of the th best parts of why we got it all done so quickly, uh, we scoped out really well beforehand. So we didn't mm. want to get there and make and say, okay, this is what we want to do. Let's try to figure it out and spend a whole day just planning. So we scoped that out before and we were able to come in saying, these are our ideas, this is what we want to do. And we're really able to like hit the ground running that way. But the platform itself is is very easy to get onboarded with, I'd say, especially with Node. There's two Since there's two SDKs, there's one for Node and there's one for C-sharp. And I found Node is easier to get started with. Okay. Because you don't have to know the nuances of C-sharp and uh, controllers, all things like that. But I found that Node's easier to get started with. And then there's tons and tons of samples on GitHub of mm -hmm. yeah. how to adaptive parts, how to use how to connect to Lewis, how to do all these different things. And so you don't have to reinvent the wheel of like let me retype all the code. It's Got here's it. the basis. There's so the documentation was is great to onboard someone, I think. Um, so it's well, really and I think the popularity of the bot framework helps you be more productive as well because you come up against the problem there's been a dozen other people who've come up against the same problem, and lucky you, two of them have published their their you know solution of however they got across it. And so that's pretty sweet in itself. Now, uh, Alex, when you showed up and you were ready to do that, what was your expectation going in, and what was the reality? So uh, the expectation was really low because it's a brand new technology. You don't want to necessarily set the goal high and expect magic things to happen. Uh, surprisingly, it was way above what we would expect, and uh, it, it, to me, the 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 ultimate uh, 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 let's say threshold is what the clinician says if they, they're going to use it or not. Because you can make the best piece of software unless you find a way to create the right experience, the right way for them to consume that. Uh, it's a piece of trash, and I'm saying that for my code as well. It doesn't matter unless it's a tool for them. And uh, what uh, Friday showed in the, the, the Hackfest was that clinicians were excited and eager and were asking early access on this and what channels and what ways uh, could I uh, um, uh, consume that information. Now, uh, once uh, Heather left and the, the team, there was an ongoing need of how do we extend this and this is what I call when um, clinicians are excited, they come with a sentence list of uh, uh, what I would like to extend. And, and this is the point where uh, you know you're, you're, you're reaching at a point that this could be useful and you pay close attention on, on what are these uh, uh, requests and uh, what is the right priority and, and how it impacts more people. Uh, and uh, one of the, the, the major requests was, uh, aside from typing it at a chat window, uh, could I converse like Siri or Cortana or Alexa? And uh, these were one of the things that uh, I think the, the approach of the hack is it's not right there. It could be next month. There's build coming up. Let's wait and see. And uh, I mean, well, build came. Cortana came over. And right now what we're working on is essentially teaching Cortana, building that skill set to, to mm -hmm. uh, consume that bot's knowledge and, and making it accessible for, for everyone to, to ask and say, tell me more about this. And uh, we were very eager to see uh, where, where Microsoft, what they're going to build next and how they're going to empower us to do more stuff. 
one of the things that uh, Steve and I uh, uh, from uh, uh, Heather's team have been working on is the whole vision that we have on how we could use HoloLens. And for mm. us, the, this platform has been a vehicle uh, for, for clinicians to, to see data in a completely different way, in a tangible way. So they can tap on uh, all the back-end uh, uh, supercomputer power and look at the data as they're, they're meant to be and, and ask questions. And one of the, the things that we were discussing with Heather is uh, converging the AI bot framework, the, 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 the understanding and cognitive services platform with uh, mixed reality in the sense of uh, it's like having a physical system. And while I'm looking at the data, I say, tell me more about this. And you get that information instead of opening browser tabs or having multiple windows. You, you stay focused on what you're doing and you get knowledge that otherwise would have been very difficult to achieve. And now we have more realistic and more higher expectations of what we would like to use in the technology. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's some serious aspirational usage of this new tool. Now, uh, Heather, during the Hackfest, everything was going on. Uh, what were some of the snags that you didn't expect? Anything uh, happen that was uh, a little bit more of a challenge? So, like Alex mentioned, like court, at Build, Cortana integration was released. Right before Build, there were there was like speech to text also yeah. released for different channels. So we actually met probably a month or two before Build, and mm -hmm. so speech was only enabled in Skype. So that was a huge problem that we found because the clinicians wanted to be able to speak and they're already doing so many things with their hands like looking at CT scans or looking at different things they want to be able to say like find me this tissue find me this variant um, so we had I worked on a pretty big workaround of how to get uh, speech enabled it would really only work locally but it was uh -huh. pretty cool to see we were able to enable socks and do a command line um, function that would say, if you click on this button that says record, it would record what the person said, say it as if that person said it as text, and yeah. we were able to get the same results. So it was, it was pretty cool. And then a week later, they released speech. <laughs> they released speech. <laughs> so, uh, so you're typing into your bot, and you want it to understand whatever it is you type. And so you configure all these utterances and intents inside Lewis so that it can do all the work for you. But now I start to speak to my bot, and I get to introduce Chris, right? Now, Chris is the new C-R-I-S, and the I-S is still the same, but the, what's the C-R stand for? Just custom lost it. recognition. Yeah. Is it is it custom? Well, whatever it is, right? It's just, it's Lewis's friend, Chris, and it's the <laughs> ability to, you know, be able to hear that text while you're you know, in a loud place. You don't have to go into a closet and whisper into the microphone to get everything just perfect. Chris is able to kind of parse all that out. It's neat to see all these different technologies. Each one has their own specialty, but together they really kind of complement one another and bring together a full solution like that. I think that's pretty I think that's pretty cool. Alex, it sounds like if they brought a Santa Claus list to you of all the things they wanted to add to it, they didn't look at it and just kind of roll their eyes. It sounds like the clinicians like this solution. I, I think what was very powerful, at least for the demo, uh, we're a multidisciplinary group, an international group that has uh, people from France, Italy, uh, Korea. So trying out uh, uh, Heather's uh, hack or pre-built solution that... Uh, 
anyone could uh, uh, ask in their native language a question and get a result back. I mean, it will always reply back in English because it was a demo and we wanted everyone else to, to understand it. But you yeah. can see the potential that it has. I think that the biggest uh, uh, benefit or power that a technology like the bot has is how close to, to us it goes to, to fetch mm -hmm. information and, and understand us better in order to tailor it and, and deliver it in the setting that we prefer, whether it is typing and, your, like you said, uh, I can only text or uh, whether it is in a setting that I just need to converse and I don't want to look at anything. I'm wearing the whole lens and I'm just saying, just bring me more info or not yeah, that. I just want to say. And, and nice what work, Heather. I mean, what a cool workaround solution before Build was announcing that you could do it other ways. It's so nice when you hit a wall and instead of saying it can't be done, you just kind of make it happen anyway as well. We forget there's so many technologies out there that uh, don't even, you don't even need that. And then you might say, oh, yeah, but it'll only work with, but often it'll only work with, fits right inside your requirements anyway. And so it, it's a nice little way to solve a problem. Good job, Heather. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it was, I've never used socks, so I don't know if I would say I'm a pro at it yet, but it was tricky. <laughs> I think it's cool that you're not a pro and still made it work. That's what I think. Alex, what's next? What's the big what's the big future for something like this? I mean, I realize HoloLens is a is a dream part of the project, but more realistically, you know, HoloLens is that's that's way down there. What do you think uh, step number two is going to be? I think uh, one of the things that we've already started is uh, using it internally, not as a, a like a demo tool, but as a beta thing of, of becoming part of the things that we sign out, uh, giving extra information. So to me, uh, a, a tool becomes powerful when you have increased user adoption. So the next steps for us is uh, a broaden and, and cut the ribbons and make it available for everyone. We're right now in this stage that we are, the bot is continuously learning and uh, it's a different threshold to have a, a set of invited users in a different setting, having our pathologists say, it's okay, you can share it now with the, the whole world. Uh, it's yeah. not going to make us look bad. It is at the level that I feel comfortable. So the, the next step is essentially uh, making it available globally, uh, inviting other people to use it and other uh, people to learn. Uh, invite institutions to, to work together with us to um, we have an approach oh, yeah. of breaking the silos and, and, and work together on this uh, tough problems and I don't think the, the whole lens uh, uh, implementation is uh, further off the road uh, we've okay. already started doing yeah, a lot of stuff. They've been doing a lot of work with the okay. whole it's, it's great, it's awesome Alex actually came, we had a hollow hack uh, earlier this week in New York City and he came as a mentor to help developers in the community get onto the hall and so they're definitely breaking grounds with that. That's cool. Closer than we think. All right. Very nice. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe maybe step number two is your hollow hollow bot. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward. Uh what what so uh, the project was the shortcut project. What are you gonna call it? The Cornell Superbot? Um that was one of the names. But um, uh, that was in the, the list. <laughs> so uh, our our precision medicine knowledge base, or PMKB, um, uh, is a, a essentially a portal that you could go and, and get all that information. And uh, we just already published the bot. Uh, I think I put it under the name PMKB, 
but um, if anyone has a better name or anything, uh, <laughs> Superbot, right? Uh, that could work. Um, I am sure some other project has stolen Superbot already. Not Cornell Superbot. You could go that route, perhaps. Precisionbot. Precision. Let's not daydream it right now, but I could. I like the idea of coming up with names. <laughs> the vision that we see, though, is not necessarily using the bot or using it with uh, channels like Skype. I think the most powerful part is integrating it with uh, assistants like Cortana and, and mm -hmm. making Cortana smarter, which has a, a much broader adoption, learn and, and utilize that bot's knowledge. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, this essentially makes it completely easier for, for development like Colens or whether I'm on Windows 10 or any other platform. Uh, I, I do use the, the Skype channel quite a bit, and uh, I do see myself, instead of going to the website, typing something because it's more uh, natural, I can type anything, it's forgiving and will find the same uh, results. Uh, and uh, I do see value of making, I think one of the next steps in, in the whole bot and assistant thing, the proactive kind of engagement, that is, uh, I'm looking for something, and it helps me driving uh, my flashlight to the right direction. So yeah. I, my query might be kind of crude, not sure what I'm looking for, or it might be tailored knowing the data or my patient and say, hey, there's an article or there's a, a clinical trial that's perfect for what you're reading, like only two minutes of your reading time over a million articles. We just brought this from you. This is where the AI comes in. With this that's story. where the dream is really realized right there. Heather, there's a developer watching this, and, and, and that developer's like, I am so ready. Where do you send developers to begin to learn about the bot framework so they can see whether or not it's the right fit for them? So I always show them the bot framework website, so it's dev.botframework.com. But mm -hmm. I usually always also show them different examples that we have. So there's a really fun bot called Project Murphy. I'm not sure if you played around with it, but you can ask the bot what if questions and you can say, what if I were a Disney princess? And it'll respond, take a pic, it will ask for a picture of myself. That is weird. I, that's the one I ask every time. That is awesome. I always ask that. <laughs> <laughs> it's my go-to. It's, it's PC enough and it's good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I usually point them Show them that first and then point them towards the docs. I found them actually really great to get started with on the Bot Framework website. Yeah. And it, it, there's something great about the Bot Framework in that it simplifies all these complexities, especially the, Bur the Murphy Project. When you think about all the stuff that all you say is, what if I were a princess? It, it does so much on the other side of the, uh, of, of the equation, right? And all of a sudden, there's an image. And it's exactly, crazy. Within right? seconds. It's really yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And so then as my company, I'm starting to think about it and like, oh, wow, we have all these things. And man, if only we could bring them all together. But what if we did bring them all together in some sort of easy to interact with way that's not a website, that is just a bot that talks to you in a way that is familiar feeling and almost like, almost like a friend in a lot of ways, depending on how you build the bot and how conversational you want to actually make it as well. Um, if I am a so if I'm a, a JavaScript node developer, obviously there's a path for me, right? Because there's a full node implementation of the bot framework. If I'm a Microsoft.NET developer and C-sharp is my thing, there's a path for me as well. It's pretty nice how open it is. Um, and then let's talk about it architecturally for a second. The bot framework, 
once I build it, where do I host it? So you can actually host it anywhere you want. So it is, at the end of the day, just a web API. So you can host it as a website, just in a messaging endpoint. And then you sign into the Bot Framework portal with a Microsoft account. You don't even need an Azure subscription. You just need to be able to connect it to that messaging endpoint. So you really can host it anywhere, and it makes it super accessible to all different companies. Okay, cool. You don't even need an Azure subscription. Boy, it's a crazy world we live in today, Heather. Wow. All right, Just cool. Very inspirational. Uh, Alex, great job. This is a cool thing. I, I'm excited to see kind of where it goes. I'm, I'm glad clinicians already kind of see its value. Obviously, you're a salesman and an evangelist of your own. Great work, and thanks for being on the show today. I would say uh, thank you, first of all, and uh, the, for any developer that is looking for examples, this is what we, we had to do uh, when we uh, dived in. Uh, there's okay. so much uh, stuff out in GitHub, and even our project with Heather is open source. You can go and check it out. Uh, it's a Node.js, and the idea is not just uh, uh, learn and, and uh, get a bootstart, but uh, don't reinvent the wheel, and if you have something cool to, to, to add, uh, do a pull request and, and uh, make your impact. Uh, there, there, there is so much potential with what the, this technology can do, and I'm, I'm looking forward to see what other people are doing in, in other uh, disciplines and, and take a, a note from that and, and take examples and, and uh, improve us. Yeah, I am too. Thank you, Alex. Heather, great job. Thanks for being on the show too. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you guys again.